0: Him finding the Owen Pelly.
1: Oh, it's very jealous, isn't it? Well, but, I mean, um, only for the gifted few, but.
0: <laughs> well. Yeah.
2: Yeah. We did find one.
0: We found one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't want to rub it in, but yeah. I mean, we're no. sorry. <laughs> nice work. Nice work, boys. <laughs>
2: Welcome to Moralia Python Radio with your hosts Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. Oh man! So how you been, man? How are you doing?
1: Good, good. Uh, Busy. Good. Cold. Yeah. 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 We're heading into um, like we've just uh, basically finished autumn. Yeah. So we're heading into winter now. I think it's officially winter tomorrow. Oh wow! Jeez. Wow. So, um, I mean, we're already getting the nighttime chill where we are and the frost, starting to get a little bit of frost. We don't get snow or anything here, but it does get down to probably zero degrees Celsius. Um, So I'm sort of on the...
0: Yeah, it's 32 degrees Fahrenheit, yeah.
1: Oh, sorry for the educated few. Yes. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> I should, no, no, I should learn more. Know ages, man. We I know. know we're wrong. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, like, like I'm, a, I'm a tradesman as well, so, um, you know, we use millimetres and then you guys use foot and in inches and one and a half feet and three quarters of an inch and two and one-eighths or something and you're like what the hell how, do, <laughs> how how do you guys Why? get this right the Jeez, rest must of the world is
0: you i we it's i I, art. I hire people like and they know what to do i uh, so yeah it's crazy it's crazy cool. so but yeah uh, that's
1: good stuff
2: yeah so I, well this is this is a cool segue into that since it's uh you know 32 and you have diamond pythons in your backyard i mean yeah. they're they're out there in those temperatures right God, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, um, so I, I live on sort of a side of a mountain. I, I, we, we say they're mountains here, but they're nothing compared to the rest of the world. You know, it's more like a hill. So <laughs> okay. we uh, overlook the valley. So it's pretty, um, obviously, there's a lot of uh, pastoral land here. And I've got one of the few big, large patches of trees left, I guess. And um, one of the neighbours down the bottom there keeps a lot of different types of parakeets and um they're constantly giving me a call saying oh we've got another snake can you come and move it you know and you go down there and it's a red belly black snake because you know bird seeds falling on the ground and lizards and some mice are coming in and of course bringing in the predators and they're pretty good because most of the people around here pretty good you know you just go catch it and they're like okay what are you going to do with it just did you want to let it down, go down the back? So there's a big creek down the back, so I just usually take them down the creek, let them go, and they probably go straight back. Yeah. But at least... But the, the thing is, you know, the animal's going to survive because it knows its environment, and um, the people that live here are educated, you know, regardless of where they've come from, whether it be city dwellers or whatever. Right. And, um, you know, they just learn to live with the animals and if they see them and they're a bit worried, they've got someone they can call who will come down and calm them down and move the animal, make them feel good, and when it pops up again, I'll just go do it again, you know? (laughs) But um, one of these people um, I actually had Ken and Harkin here and um, went down there because they've got a a resident diamond python that inhabits one of their um, uh, sheds, basically. And I went down there searching for it, and they're like, oh, it was there yesterday, and, of course, we didn't find it. We got skunked.
3: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And um, two days after he left, obviously, it popped up again. So it's it's like these things know that herpers are in the area and they just want to have a fondle. <laughs> yeah.
0: It knows, it knows you're looking for it. Yeah.
1: It... Yeah. yeah. They just vaporize. But um, once that <laughs> cold weather comes in, you know, you get a couple of cold days where it rains a bit and it's really low temperatures, and then the sun will peak out for a couple of hours, and then, boom, that's when you'll find a diamond python, you know, doing that basking. Just charging up, and you pick them up, and they're, they're they're cold to the touch, you know, like really lethargic, and you know, like they give you a little bit of a hiss, but they're really not interested in striking in any way, you know, like it,
0: it's 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 incredible. That's awesome.
1: They they really are magical animals. I I believe so. You know, I used to do a lot of um, relocation. So relocating snakes up and down the coast, and I started doing that in the early 90s, probably long before some people learnt to walk. And, um, (laughs) and, uh, you know, like, I, I probably caught in excess of 250 animals within three years. So you sort of start understanding, you know, colours and patterns and where you find these guys and what they're doing, and, you know, you start learning different things, and... They they really enjoy human humans moving into their habitat, you know, because it gives them perfect places to, you know, set up camp. They've got all these awesome opportunities. Yeah, how do you beat the cold? Go and hide in someone's roof ceiling space.
0: Hide in the shed. I'd do this. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's 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 amazing. And then people are so surprised. Oh, I thought you know, I thought they wouldn't be around here because I mow the lawn. And you're like, well. Diamond yeah. pythons are a little bit different. See how you mow your lawn and you throw your clippings in a big pile? Well, that's a nice warm area. <laughs> and they're like, oh, well, I never thought of it like that. And it's like, right. yeah. Of course you didn't. Yeah. It's it's, <sighs> it's pretty amazing. I, I, I love them. And um, I've only just started getting back into keeping them again, diamond pythons. So... Yeah. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah. 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 I, I bred my first diamond pythons in the early 90s, so 95, 96, somewhere there. Okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Were they hard Very, to track when you uh, first started working with them.
1: Obviously, there was there was nothing around. There was no real information around then. Uh, I think there was a couple of reptile reptile magazines from the US.
3: Mm-hmm. I think
1: there was an article in there of a guy in New York or somewhere like that that had bred them, but he yeah. had wintered them by taking them out of his enclosure and yes. put hay in a styrofoam box and put yes. it in his basement. Yes. Yep. Yeah. It yeah. was crazy. I was reading this, and I'm like, what the hell? It, it, they, like,
0: it, scared, it scared the crap out impossible. of me for Diamond Pythons forever, because I'm like, yeah. I can't do that. Like, yeah, that I was done. I
2: think yeah. he's in Colorado, and the weather out in Colorado is wacky, man.
0: It's yeah. 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 well,
2: snowing one day, 100 degrees the next day. I don't know.
1: I can, I can understand that, then, but it was crazy. I was reading this article, and I'm like, these things are, like, impossible.
3: This is never going to happen. <laughs>
1: you know, and I'm like, what the hell? But um, I I had a couple of animals that were um, injured and um, I was nursing them back to health and um, I I probably kept them a little bit longer than I should have because they ended up mating and produced my very first clutch of diamond python eggs in this enclosure that was probably two foot square but stood about four foot high. Hmm. And, um, yeah, I just had this nice little cage in the middle of the lounge room because I could watch these animals because they were recovering and, yeah, and um, made some eggs and got some babies out. And I'm like, I don't need any styrofoam boxes. I don't need hay. I don't need a paste.
3: Yeah. Need a boy and a girl. Yeah.
1: yeah, Need a boy (laughs) and a girl and um, just turn those temperatures off at night and boom, cracked it.
0: Wow.
1: Beginner's luck.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. I stumbled
2: are you going to keep them outside or are you keeping them inside?
1: I'm going at the moment. I'm keeping them inside, but I'm um, going to put them outside. I did. Um, I did have a when I first moved to this property back in uh, 2000. We um, I built a nice big aviary, so it was um, and I had it on wheels because we've got a big open deck area out of the back there. So the open deck area is about, or oh, it's about eight meters. So times by three, so it's 24, I guess, for you guys. Mm. By about six, so 24 by 18, I guess. Big size open area.
3: Right.
1: And I built this. I built a a nice big aviary. It was about six foot by three foot deep, um, six foot wide, three foot deep, and about seven foot high. But then what I did on top is I built like a little um basically a little sweat box on top. So there was a little plastic box I made that sits on top of that again that stood up another two foot. And I put a ledge in there, and I, what I did is I put a, um, a ceramic uh, heat emitter in there mm. so in winter I could have it nice and warm, but in summer it was a really hot box so the animals could move up, right up into this hot area um, to really sweat it out if they needed to. But then the rest of it was just wide open. And then I built a, um, uh, like a, basically like a a bird breeder box. Okay. So it was about two foot wide by a foot deep, but it stood about four foot high. So there was four levels, like four Mm -hmm. styrofoam boxes. And I had styrofoam boxes in there and I just filled them like half filled them with some bedding in there. So I did steal some of that guy's ideas (laughs) (laughs) and, um, I knew I had to use it somehow, but I, I put it in there and, um, I had, like, four or five females in there, and I think I had, like, two males, so I had quite a few animals in there,
3: uh-huh.
1: um, a lot of branches and ledges and stuff, and then on the bottom of the aviary itself, because it was off the ground, it was on wheels, so I could move it around and chase the sun if I needed to, or the or vice versa, you know, hide from the,
0: right. the sun. Right, away from it.
1: <laughs> and um, uh, over that period of a couple of years of having them on the, on the back deck, I, I learned that I didn't need to chase the sun. I didn't need to chase the shade. These guys were just, they they broke all the rules. Hmm. You know, it'd be zero degrees and they'd be out sitting in a water bowl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you, you, you sort of scoop them up and you, you, your fingers are tingling because it's that cold. And you're like, you guys are crazy. And then vice versa, you know, we've got 42 degrees Celsius hot days. And, they're not. and these guys, are, these guys are up in the hot box, and you're like, "What the hell are you doing?" You know, like. God. And initially, you you're stressing out, so you're like, "Get out of there! It's too hot!" And you move them down, and then you come back an hour later, and they're back up there. And, <laughs> you, and vice versa, you pick them out of the water bowl, and you put them in the hide box. You go, "It's too cold. Get in there!" And you come out, and they're right back in the water bowl, or they're coiled up. Like I, I just put a big pile of leaf litter on the bottom. Hmm. And they just get in that leaf litter and just coil up underneath the leaves. And sometimes you couldn't even see them. You'd sit there and go, "Where are they?" You know, you're like, "Where are they?" Where are they? <laughs> right. And um, yeah, probably within. Like they they stayed out there the very first year, which was nerve nerve wracking because they were uh, my older animals, like eighteen, nineteen years. I had the first lot of animals that I bred. They were outside, so I had them for 18, 19 years. But they were, you know, six foot adults when I acquired them. So they're quite old animals. Like you could tell, they just looked like they've had a bit of a, a vigorous life. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, a couple of their offspring were out there as well. And you know, I the best year I came out, and there was three clutches in there. Jeez. Three clutches of <laughs> eggs. I'm just like, this is, you know, Jeez. like I'm a big timer, you know, like breeding snakes. <laughs> like this is so easy. I'm, I'm so good at packed, this. You know? <laughs> I'm the best. <laughs> but uh, the reality is, you know, I just gave them the opportunity to, um, and, and uh, I guess the space for them to be able to do what they needed to do at the right times. And well, my job was just making sure that they had food and water, really, and they did everything else that they needed to do. Right. So, so it fun- was
2: it was crazy. I was going to say, do you find with... Um... With that species in particular, do you find that uh, maybe uh, keeping them in captivity, adding UV to them, would uh, would benefit them? Or
1: that's a, that's an interesting thing. Um, I, I remember back in the early days, there was a, a couple of herpers here, um, and a couple of them were uh, vet academics, like they were not just vet students or vets as such. There were um, uh, Glenn Shay is is one of them, and he's. He's like the head, um, ch- uh, head guy at the the veterinary um, mm-hmm. place at Sydney Uni. So he does all a lot of um, research and stuff. And he did a study on what we were calling the soggy uh, snake syndrome. Because what we noticed was that diamond pythons and some carpets, when kept cap- in captivity, when you pick them up, they were quite flaccid in your hand, you know. And right. so, so the. So Glenn went out and he said, okay, then what I want to do is captive study. I want to draw blood from numerous captive animals and have a look at their calcium levels and a few other bits and pieces, see how people are keeping them, temperatures, all the rest of it, UV light, no UV lights. And this is sort of mid-90s, I'm pretty sure.
2: Okay.
1: Um, Versus, you know, wild-caught animals and bloods and stuff like that. It was quite a vigorous sort of study and... I do remember the results came back, and there was it was inconclusive. There was no huh. clinical evidence that said what we do in captivity was different to what they get in the outside world. In other words, if you kept a snake in a box, never gave it UV light, some of those snakes had the same levels as a wild-caught animal, as in calcium levels and all the rest of it.
0: Interesting the hell.
1: That's but, so weird. But when we look at these animals, and we look at colours, I can, mm. I, I, you know, I'm no expert, but I, I can definitely say the colours are more, more intense with exposure to sunlight, whether that be any artificial, you know, replications as in UV lights, those, those colours definitely are a lot more outstanding when they have um, access to UV light. And the whole soggy snake syndrome, I really think it came down to the fact of how we keep these animals. Mm. They're they're an arboreal climbing species. Keeping them in a horizontal box with inability to climb, I think is is, is what the, the biggest problem is. You know, they don't get the they don't get to the, do the, the crunches, they don't get to do the workouts, you know. They laying around all day like we do at the moment with COVID and on the lounge and
0: Oh, listen, fedded, uh, you know? yeah, If i if I lay down on the sofa and eat chips all day, you know, it's yeah. Yeah, it, right. You're exactly right now. I'm in my box. The door will ring. They'll bring me my food, and yeah. I'll eat it. And I sit down here. It's fine, you yep. know. Uh, and I,
1: I really think it comes down to that. Sometimes we need to. And I guess it comes with age too. You start going back to the basics. Sometimes you look at things, and you sometimes you overthink them, and you're mm. putting all these different scenarios. And then when you stop. And you wind back the clock and go, hang on a minute, I I kept these back in the 90s, we never had to do this, and I bred them for a couple of generations, so I'm pretty sure I got it right, you know, and you (laughs) sort of wind back the clock and you go, I don't need all these supersonic fancy things that are starting to hit the market, because they didn't exist 20, 30 years ago.
3: Right. Right.
1: So... You know, I I managed to get around that. How did I do that? Oh, because I was doing this. Yeah, it was a little bit more labor-intensive, but the results were, boom.
0: Yeah.
2: When I kept pythons in the 80s, it was the same thing. Uh, You know, we never had, you know, we had a light on top of the tank, and that was it. You know, that was it. It wasn't those special lights and heat mats and all that different stuff, so.
1: I mean, the the very first uh, carpet python I kept because I I used to keep a few venomous snakes before I kept pythons of all things and, um, just had a, a, basically a red party 25 watt light globe in the cage, you know? And you're like, that would be like the mortal sin these days. And they they
0: tear you apart. And (laughs) And, and the (laughs) the cage
1: was a a two foot fish tank and it was a monster tank with, um, with pebbles (laughs) So I am the most hideous creature in the world, you know? And you're just like, wow, like, how did I do that? Why did I do that? But, you know, that was the information available at the time. and
4: Sure.
0: It it worked. And it worked. That's the thing. It's like you, you can knock it as much as you want. It worked because if it hadn't worked, the pythons that are now living in, like, the perfectly built constructed cage with all this other, the amenities and the $400 computer system that you have, that, those were its grandparents or great grandparents. Like, yeah, it worked because you have your snake here. So, yep, you really can't knock it too far. No, no.
1: And and I'm a big believer of, if you're doing something right, then the evidence outweighs, you know, all, all the positives outweigh the negatives. Like, yeah, I've got a lot of snakes here that I've had for 26 years so they're 26 year old animals you know Mm -hmm. um and then people say oh but you know like i've got a couple of eastern blue tongues for instance and um charlie the the old girl turned 27 this year and she dropped a a litter of 15 babies and crap (laughs) and uh, yeah and her (laughs) boyfriend is uh two years younger so he's the spring chicken (laughs) and um I, i keep them together and people go you can't keep them together well these guys have lived together for well over 15 years, you know, right. like I have kept them individually and then I just got to the point where I just put them together and they, they socialize and that's it. They, they're done. <clears throat> and, you know, not only do they um, still are they able to produce, they're still healthy looking animals. They're still, you know, they can do everything they need to do and that's evidence in the babies. But um, the, the, the thing is, you know, they look a little bit rugged, like, she might be missing a couple of toes here and there. And um, I had them in an aviary, which I didn't really, I just let them go and had some rats break in basically mm. and attacked them and chewed the tips of their noses. And people are like, Oh, they're disgusting. They Look at, look at those things. Look how ugly they are. And I'm like, well, you know, for all the rights and wrongs that they're my animals, I love them regardless of what they are. Genetically, they're, they're nothing special. Right. You yeah. know, we, we, you could buy them for $20 here <clears throat> Like that yeah. normal-looking animal, but um, right. to me, that it means a lot more than that. It's it's my experience sitting there it, looking at me, you know.
3: Right. Yeah.
1: And I mean, it's it's proof that yeah, I got things wrong sometimes. Yeah, I wasn't on top of the ball at sometimes, but they're still here, and I've still done the right thing along the way, you
0: know. Yeah, yeah. they could they could look perfect and drop dead at the age of four, yes. or you know, you could keep them healthy and yeah, they, they, they got some cuts, bruises and, and Like I've got cuts, bruises, scars and everything like that. It it comes with experience, you know, it's character. Yeah. Like, character. listen, I have one of my, one of my, uh, my, uh, 14 year old carpet Python female. She has a scar that runs around the entire, um, all like it's a circle around her snout because yeah. when she was a baby, one of the air holes was too big And she shoved her head in there and she just kept spinning until she cut the entire circumference of her face. So I learned air holes need to be smaller. She's fine. like There's no issues, but you know,
2: how big was that air hole? (laughs) Uh, She I
0: don't young. Yeah. I was was young and foolish and stupid. (laughs) Like apparently Uh, she thought she could get out of it. That's how big it was.
2: We've all been there. Okay. I got it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's true. And I mean, I'm, i'm not, I'm not perfect yeah. and um you know i've I've learned a lot of lessons very quickly, and if you don't pick up on it, then you don't get those opportunities again with those animals, you know
3: yeah,
2: yeah, I think if you're paying attention to your animals at the end of the day, they're going to tell you what they want, what yeah. they need, if you're paying attention, then you're going to be successful as a keeper, and you should yeah. not pay attention to what you know Facebook says or whatever oh, and, you know <laughs> and then I mean. I can't tell you how many times, uh, you know, what somebody's telling you it should be is opposite to what you're um, seeing with your animals, and you just got to learn to tune that out,
1: you know. That's right. That's right. If you're paying attention to your animals, it doesn't matter what's – right because the Internet hasn't always been there, believe it or not. (laughs) <laughs> I know it's hard for some people, but believe it or not you know, that, that, little free thing, internet. <laughs> that little thing that blings in your pocket that, right. that never used to be there you know? right. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a weird concept, but it's true, yes. it's yeah. true.
0: I mean, it's it, it's just one of those things that again it's taken for granted where it's just because this guy who's the loudest on the internet says this is what works for him does not mean it's what's going to work for you or if it's something right. you should be doing. So, you know, it they Eric and I kept keep our species, our snakes completely different. And there have been numerous times where we've kept them like drastically different. And yep. we both have success. And it works. Yes. So and we live in and the that- same damn state. And so you know, the, interesting,
2: the interesting thing is, is like sometimes Owen will do something that's different than what I'm doing. So if I'm having a, a uh, if I'm if I find myself stumbling with something, I yep. mean, look at his approach and maybe maybe adapt a couple things from what he's doing. Right. Um. And then and then it will put me on the direction to be successful with what I'm doing. You know, or vice versa. Yeah.
1: So. I think I think that's the good thing about the internet is the ability to for good people to share, and it's. The, the older days, I guess, over here, you know, the, trying to associate yourself with the people that actually had animals and had experience and trying to get the information from them, you know, it was actually a, a physical thing. You had to turn up, had to be there, or you had right. to make a phone call and, you know, you had to put the invested effort in there and sit there and talk to them on the phone and, and get all that information and build a friendship and a relationship. And that's the positive part of it, you know, I like to <clears> see that, more people have success. Um, I I don't like Australia's market is nothing like the US. I I just don't understand where people think that they're competitors. It's crazy.
3: (laughs) I didn't
1: realize it was a competition here, you know, like,
0: wow. I mean, like, I think the last time I actually saw you in person was at a Tinley park. Yeah. Um, And I mean, that, that must be a, total shock to the system compared to what's going on in Australia. I, I mean, yeah, <laughs> you, you've seen, you've seen it. It's it, it is. I'm selling this animal for this morph and screw that guy over there is selling it for this yeah. much. Oh, okay. It, so. it's, it's pretty, it's pretty
1: much the same here. You know, like we have our expos, um, New South right. Wales. We're very greedy. You know, we have, I think we've got like four or five reptile expos. Um, <laughs> whereas the rest, the rest of Australia, you know, Victoria has one a year. Western Australia has one every two years. Jesus. Can you Queensland imagine? Queensland has one once won? whenever they feel like it, every three, four, maybe <laughs> five years. I don't know. It's, it's, it's really weird. It's, But um. so so in New South Wales, the same thing. You know, I could, I could turn up and, you know, people, other breeders will come up to you before the expo starts and they look over your animals and they're like, oh, yeah, how much are you selling that for? And it's like, oh, I'm selling it for this. And they're like, oh, all right, all right. And I'm like, And I just got to the point at the expos where I just refuse to write my prices on anything. Mm. And then when the door opens, I just put my prices on it, and I just sat there. And people are like, "Oh, that guy over there's got it cheaper." And I'm like, "Well, go over there and buy it. Good for him." But I want to buy. But I want to buy your animal, you know? I want to buy your animal, and it's like, "Well, that's mine." Oh, how did you come up with that price? Well, that's I've put the 15 years' investment into producing these animals, and that's what I value my babies as. If you don't want it, then. Just walk go away. away. I'm, I'm happy for you to walk away.
3: Yeah.
1: yeah. It's crazy. And then other breeders come over, you know, look at it, and they go back with their texts and start doing the old, you know, it's lunchtime. Here's the lunchtime sale. Slash, Here's the yeah. 2 o'clock sale. Here's the 4 o'clock sale.
0: Oh, my God. Here's and the just, I don't want to pack it up sale. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and you're just like, man, do you, like, you're really undervaluing your own product. And it's, yeah. it's a little bit sad because – the, the, the other thing that I really don't like seeing is animals becoming a disposable commodity, yeah. you know, like you hear of all these stories where people are like, oh, I could take it to the vet, but it's going to cost me more to take it to the vet than what it actually cost me to buy. So it's that's just easier ridiculous. for me to dump it and I'll just go and buy a new animal. And you're like, "That that is the hole-in-the-head scenario. That's the bad thing. And that's what causes the whole hobby, every hobby a problem.
0: Yeah, down the line, you know. It's it's. I I really hate to break it to anybody who might be listening. If you send me a message asking me what's wrong with your snake, my response is going to be take it to a vet, because I last time I checked, I do not have a doctorate in veterinary medicine. I cannot diagnose what's wrong with your snake.
2: Oh, I have to stop the show, man. What the hell?
0: You, yeah. I'm sorry. You I, didn't know all these I, years uh, you've been telling me. I forget. Stuff. I forget the lies I put on my resume to get on this oh, show. God. So it's um anyway it's <laughs> you get it, like you got to take it to the vet you got to do that it's yeah. and if you're not prepared for knowing that at one point the animal could get sick and it might be beyond bumped the heat up a little yep. then then don't get into it that's it it's Peter, it's crazy is it
2: yeah. – how do you – I mean, is most of the places where you guys will sell reptiles in Australia, will it be at a show? I mean, is there, like uh, – do you guys meet up or is there shipping there? And, like, is it hard to ship between, you know – yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> so from, from a stateside point of view, we, um, we don't have the infrastructure like you guys. Like, we don't have overnight FedEx and all the other animal shipping options that you guys have because I've seen it. You know, you order an animal – order an animal Friday night and Saturday morning you wake up and it's at your door. It's like, what the hell? How did that happen? You you guys have got distribution
3: fairies.
1: (laughs) Over here, we're so limited over here. So if I wanted to, within my state, sell something to someone in in my state, I would have to organize airport to airport freight because that's the quickest and most reliable option for us. Okay. So I would have to, and, and it gets even better. There's only there's a monopoly, so there's only one air freight company that does live animals for reptiles. They do dogs and cats, but right. for for reptiles, there's only one.
0: Oh wow! Good
1: old good Jeez. old Qantas.
0: <laughs> and hey, um, I love Qantas. They fed us the entire time we were in Australia, no matter what plane we were on and how long it was. There were, like, three meals in a movie. We get back three to the U.S., hours. they, like, threw the soda at us and told us to shut up. Like, it was... Shaking. They're shaking. Yeah. <laughs> and warm. <like> that. <laughs> yeah. Nothing else.
1: Yeah. And those tiny little cans. What the hell is yeah, those I know. tiny yeah, cans?
0: It, it was not good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <It> was... <laughs> so, but, Qantas is the only one?
1: Yeah, so Qantas is the only one. So, if I wanted to send a snake from... Sydney to, or let's say from where I am, and I'm in between Newcastle and Sydney, so I can either drive to Newcastle or I can drive to Sydney. Newcastle's 45 minutes. Sydney's two hellish hours. Oh, wow. One way. So if I wanted to send an animal from here to, say, Dubbo, so that's interstate into New South Wales, I would have to, if I drove to Newcastle, it would fly from Newcastle to Sydney and then Sydney to Dubbo because uh, everything... Sydney is the only one that will fly to every regional airport. So Newcastle is a region; it has to fly back to Sydney to the base and then fly back out. Oh. So then you know you've got—I've got to be there 90 minutes before the flight leaves. Got to pre-book the animal in over the internet. They charge you a minimum of a hundred to 120 dollars. Oh
0: my god! Yeah, it's a premium. And you you know, premium. I'm to pay that oh mirror. my god, you mean. Make- <laughs> Hey, I, I see that you have the snake for 250 plus shipping. Yeah. Will you do 250 shipped? No, yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. But
1: a, a lot of the times you just go, you know what, I'll just ship it. You know, I just, depends oh, on who, who, where you know, it I, is and all the rest of it. It gets better. Okay. It gets better. Trust no, me. I'll keep, go, no, keep going. <laughs> so, so that's within New South Wales. So if I okay. wanted to send that particular animal, a $250, $250, uh, $250 snake to a guy in Queensland,
0: Uh,
1: I could still go to Newcastle. Newcastle, actually one of the airports that will fly to Brisbane, but more than likely it would have to go to Sydney, then back up to Queensland. But uh, before I can even do that, I have to apply for an export permit for New South Wales. What? The receiver in Queensland has to apply for an import permit in Queensland because it's crossing a a, a state boundary here. You know, we're pretty Mm, legit. We're not like you cowboys <laughs> over there. and um, drive across the state <laughs> line, <laughs> lungs, yeah. <laughs> So, so that So for that bit of paperwork, that's uh, another $30. So it's $30 plus your freight of your animals, another $100, $120. Jeez, So, dollars yes. So it's 150 bucks now for just getting the animal to the airport so the receiver can actually go to the airport at their end and pick it up. If you want to do a door-to-door service, there's very limited opportunities, and some of these guys, you know, the animal could be in freight for two to three days. So you've got to be really um, understanding of the temperatures, you know, if it's too cold, too hot. We don't have the um, access to, like, the heat packs and the cool packs you guys get, because I've seen all that stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And um, I remember I talked to Robin about them quite a few years ago, Ship Your, ship your Reptiles, I think it is. Yep. And I yeah, thought, you yeah. know, yeah, I wonder if we could get something similar here in Australia, at least even if you could get all the, the shipping boxes and all the heat packs, cool packs and all that stuff, then you could still pack it, still ship it through your road express, but at least, you know, the animal in shipping is in a decent way. It's not just chucked in a pillow slip, slung in a plastic box and sent on its way and, Let's right. just hope you don't get a screaming hot day and the animals sitting in the back of a truck somewhere.
0: Oh God!
1: So it's it's quite barbaric over here. Our freight system, it's um it, it's the Achilles heel really.
0: Hmm. That is insane. Wow. So like what what bo- kind of boxes do you ship in, or is it is, is it like those? Because um, when you when monitors and venomous are shipped in the U.S., yeah. they have to go Delta Dash, which is airport to airport. And they have to be secured in either a wood crate that's drilled shut, or it's a one of those plastic black and yellow tough totes, and they're all zip tied and stuff like that. Like, what do you? If you guys don't have access to the boxes that we normally use for shipping, is that what you guys use? You build your own stuff, or um, is yeah. it just like a normal so box?
1: So, so yeah, you're right. Back in the early days, um, we used to have these little six pack uh, styrofoam boxes. Okay. And um, you can imagine the um, the surprise when they drop them in the airplane, or they crack in the airplane, and they've got venomous snakes or monitors oh, running around the back of airplanes. Um, and, and most of the planes that they use these days are actually passenger planes. <laughs> they just they just don't pressurize the um, the, the luggage Undercoat. cabin, so therefore yeah. you know you don't get the other end open the box and have this frozen popsicle snake in your hand or a lizard's quite upsetting. Back in the back in the olden days, you know, um, they used to use a lot of these styrofoam boxes and, you know, things like they drop a, a box on the, the runway and then got snakes zipping around everywhere. And there was a couple of big incidences where that happened. So then they say they said that it had to be in a crush proof box. So okay. I guess everyone's interpretation of a crush proof box is different. But typically <laughs> Um, I always use uh, – they're like a little small toolbox, uh, rigid plastic toolbox. Basically, you can drive over them and they don't sort of crush. Okay. You know, and you can pick them up for 10 or 15 bucks. And, you know, the old pillow slip in the bottom has a little section that clips down over the top. So it's like a little box, and then you can put all your paperwork on top, mm-hmm. and then you lock the lid down, zip tie it up, and then ship it. But um wooden crates I've seen a lot of wooden crates some of the old school guys still do that um, guys like Peter Kraus you know it's just all locked in a little timber box and it's all sealed up and shipped on their way so
0: that's insane because it's like it's fifteen dollars a box I mean that's that's another aspect of it that's even more expensive yeah that does
2: Listen Jesus. to all these U.S. herpers, man. Listen, listen they're bitching about <laughs> bullshit.
0: So entitled, you guys. Next time they're go like, on. I don't know if I want to have it shipped to the hub. I'm just gonna mail them this part of the episode. Like, like, I cry, walk I cry out every my time. My door to see and
2: that. my reptile will be right at my doorstep.
0: Shut up. <laughs> and then then you then you
1: sell like you sell a hundred dollar snake, and then people are like, oh yeah yeah yeah, and then you start telling them the freight and the rest of it, and you just go, jeez, I know where this is gonna end up.
3: Yeah, yeah, like it's, it's right. not going
1: to be a sale, but yeah. I, I, you can't wear the cost, you can't wear $170 for freight, export permit, packaging for a hundred dollar snake. And you're like, No, yeah, no, dude, uh, my generosity is minus $70 now. Like, what the hell?
0: Yeah, no, it's no, <laughs> <laughs> no, hell no, right? Uh, oh, god.
2: I'm going to switch gears for a minute because you brought up Peter Krauss and I heard you mention on um, another yeah. podcast that you were on, and you were talking about getting baby blackheads to go, and he gave you oh, a yeah. tip where, uh, well, maybe you can share the tip with us. Uh, I thought that was, I never thought about this, but.
1: No, I don't want to share. Uh, okay.
2: <laughs> Next <laughs> okay.
3: question.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it was, um, it was,
1: uh, it was the early 90s, I'm pretty sure. Like um, the very first blackheads I bred was in '96. So okay. I, was a, I was an early bloomer in Australia, <laughs> and um, I was lucky enough to have good good connections, you know, Peter Krauss, John Montgomery, uh, John Weigel, all those sort of guys. Um, Bob Withy was another guy. And all those guys have got a wealth of knowledge in a whole heap of different aspects. And I bred blackheads, you know, f- number one. Everyone told me you'd never breed them because they're, they're really hard to breed. Well, they are a pain in the butt, but I did breed them. Right. They laid eggs, and I'm like, yeah, this is cool. And then, yeah, the eggs are quite large. So that's what sort of caught me off guard. These things are like 100 to 120 grams, okay. um, like a very large goose egg. I don't know if you, either one of you guys have had the okay. lovely experience. A goose? No. <laughs> but, you know, um, goose,
0: no goose, no goose no, or no. blackhead, no. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> blackhead eggs are quite large. So. Okay. Um, So then obviously they're saying the size of the incubation box needs to be quite adequate to allow for ventilation. Mm -hmm. Um, Back in the old days, you know, we're still using um, vermiculite. Uh, We used to use a lot of ice cream containers, like a four-liter ice cream container. You half fill that with vermiculite. You put your eggs in it. Then you'd cut a hole in the lid and you put glad wrap or cling wrap over the top. Okay. And then you put the edge of the tub over it so you have this little clear window in the middle where you can see the eggs but the, the plastic allows for some air movement and transfer because it's not 100% sealed so you get a little bit of gas exchange through the plastic mm-hmm. all these things you learn when you just want to keep snakes you know you start <laughs> to actually learn it's horrible it, it's in deep and um Anyway, so I, I cooked these guys like I normally did, and They, took, they felt like it was, took years, but it, it took a lot longer than normal. Um, and then they hatched, they came out, and, you know, everything's awesome. They shared and you're like, cool, no worries. A couple of weeks later, you're like, okay, I'm going to offer them some food, and they just, like, look at you. And then <laughs> weeks are going by, and you're like, uh, you know, it's a month now since they've hatched. You're starting the stress going, uh, usually things start to shrivel up and drop off by now. But these guys just sat there and looked at you. No matter what you did, they just weren't interested. And I thought, well, I'm going to have to assist feed. Oh, my goodness. Mm. Anyone that's ever tried to assist feed something that doesn't actually have, you know, a, a jawbone. The, python, feel the like,
0: python snout.
1: Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a nightmare. And, I mean, like I said, I've had a lot of experience with venomous snakes. So some things like tiger snakes used to have to be assist fed to start getting fed, that was easy. That was the easiest thing. Right. Blackhead of pythons, man, I think that's what made my hair go grey at 20. <laughs> it, it was Is crazy. Bad, and, huh? uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm only 25, just got really <laughs> bad grey hair. It was one of bad experiences in life. Uh, <laughs> and um, and I remember... I. I as, as the old school people do, you know, they ring up once a week for the catch up and have a chat and all the rest of it. Mm. And I remember I spoke to um, Peter Krauss and John Montgomery at the time and said to oh, him, Man, I'm having troubles getting these things feeding. And they just had a little bit of a sniggle. Went, yeah, yeah, it can be difficult. You can try different scenting techniques. So, you know, the information highway was open and um, trialing like, all these different scenting techniques. And I remember um, there was a big storm front coming through and um, John Montgomery, he only lives like three suburbs away from me, 15, 20 minutes away. Mm-hmm. He rings me up, says, there's a big storm coming through. I'm like, yep, yep. I said, Thanks for being concerned. He's like, no, no.
0: <laughs> no, I don't care about you. Oh. <laughs>
1: it's like, you need, to, you need to feed your blackheads now. And I'm like, what? He goes, go and feed your blackheads now. And I'm like, this guy's crazy, you know. It's like at 11.30 at night. I need to feed my blackheads. So, okay. I raced out, got some food, got some um, pinky rats. Went down there and sure enough, boom, every single one of them fed. And I'm like, oh, what, what type way. of witchery is this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, wow. Like, is there a camera in the room? Like, how did he know? <laughs> how did he <you> do this? <laughs> yeah. And then, and then you know, speaking with Peter Krause again and, and John again, you know, they're both like, yeah, yeah, that's the best opportunity is you get that pressure change, the barometric pressure change and that stimulates different things, can stimulate breeding can stimulate feeding, can do all these different things to different animals. Right. So you've got to strip it back and go back to the basics again and go, okay, these animals live in some of these areas that are pretty barren and desolate. What are the cues for food? Well, rain. Rain stimulates other animals to come out looking for food and water, obviously. Mm-hmm. So therefore the predators is going to go out looking for the, the food items that are looking for food and water. <clears throat> so... Huh. I, I guess it's common sense, but to me, it just seemed like the craziest thing in the world.
2: Yeah, when I heard you say it, I was like, wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> that, so weird. Yeah. I would have thought of that, but yeah, okay. And, have you and, tried that with Antaresia at all? Oh,
1: those things are just nightmares, but yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I've tried everything. <laughs> I've tried
1: everything. Those things can be absolute nightmares. And pathensis, I'm glad to see so many breeding pathensis, but man, be prepared for those clumps of... Hair, handfuls of hair you're going to be ripping out. They can be either the best and easiest thing in the world or the the craziest thing. You could be assist feeding them for six months and then come in one day and they'd just be dead.
0: (laughs) Is that pretty much uh, standard that that you
2: just start (laughs) assist feeding them from the gate with those? Um, I've had hit and
1: miss. Um, So a lot of the times, you know, they say if you have sort of scent particles around when you're incubating the eggs, that can influence the embryos.
3: Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, um, I haven't found that success with the pathensis. I, you know, early early trial feedings sometimes work, but not always. It's it's really a hit and miss thing, you know. Like it's it, there's no rocket science to it. And I and I know Justin and and Nick have both have equal success and non-success. Right. Mm. So it's 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 a crazy thing. You just got to, you know, try and get in there early because they're tiny animals to start with. Right. Um, temperatures they prefer really whittle them away very quickly. And um, if you haven't got something in them within a, you know, the first couple of weeks, then you definitely see the difference. You know, the the, the start of the demise really. Gotcha. So and I know guys use tails because tails are quick and easy, but. Yeah. Really, there's not much nutritional value. Um, I know Justin uses, I think he does the old nip off the fuzzy legs and debone it and all this weird, wonderful, fancy stuff. It's Whoa, almost like he's, it's, it's like, he's, it's like he's running his own restaurant, you know? He's in there deboning I, like, I,
0: that'd be the weirdest show on the cooking channel, but I feel like I'd watch yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah
1: I'd, 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 it's weird but awesome.
0: Yeah, um, and a porterhouse pinky
3: yeah. 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 yeah,
1: it's a very skill, ancient skill. Man. A lot of slicing and dicing. Yeah, whoa. Um, but um, the only thing that I found that really worked quick and easy was um, another Peter Kraus old school method. Was um, you get a frozen pinky? Obviously, you decapitate it, frozen. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the technique. Is frozen. Let it defrost because if you decapitate them defrosted, then you have a mess. Right. <laughs> so whenever you need to chop up animals, always do it frozen. Do it frozen. I, this, this Let is, it defrost. I, I
2: don't know. I, you, I should did do you that. Learn that the hard way, Peter. Or... I, uh, <laughs> I learned it the hard way. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. yes. Okay. So <laughs> we're on the same boat. Okay.
1: Yep. okay. I also learned that you learn should never wrong. defrost <laughs> rodents or chickens or any type of reptile food in the house microwave.
0: Yes. Yes!
3: <laughs>
1: Especially
0: if they're full-bodied awesome. animals. Yep, it's yep. Good, yeah, good don't thing. do that. Yeah. If, if
1: you want to replace the microwave, yes, go for it.
0: Yeah, it did, that, if, if you really want to, if that's <laughs> what you, the wife off. One if you the really yeah. want a microwave. Yep. 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 Uh-huh. yep. You go in there, you do it
1: once, and then you go, okay, well, it defrosted, but um, now I've got a, a square box missing in the kitchen.
0: Yeah, I just...
1: just it forever.
0: Just throw it out. Just... Yep. After after, my, you, after you open it. the door, just close it. Be like, well, and just heave it. Whole thing, yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Tape it up. Let the stench stay in there.
1: Especially chickens,
0: they just explode. It's not oh, really good. God, yeah. I, so I decapitated I mean,
2: pinky, froze, unfold out, and that's the. Yes. That's, okay. Yep. So
1: so basically, um, so then you've got this little pinky. So it's like a little jelly bean. Just mm. so you look at that little shape, and then where you've decapitated it in the back of the skull. Is the, the right spot where you place the sexing probe?
2: <laughs> okay.
1: Okay. okay. It's it a little it gets a little bit weirder, right? Yeah, so know it's obviously great. you get you get your little um you get your little pathensis. You touch it on the snout. You push, opens its mouth. Uh, probe on the back of the skull in the little hole. Slight push to the back of the jaw, and then release. And then the good thing about pathensis usually as soon as it gets to the back of the jaw, boom, they'll they'll just eat it. Swear, Whereas okay some Stimpsons and childrens will spend four quarters of an hour pushing it back out, you know, they
0: just <laughs> writhe yeah. around until they can get back up. Yeah. Uh-huh. Is
2: it, yeah. are they like one of those ones where you have to set it down and don't move for like 15 minutes?
1: <laughs> you know? um, no, they're usually not too bad. I mean, okay. usually you can just pop them back down. They just sort of look at you and sort of give that little squirm left to right and you go, okay, I'm done. You know, they can do their thing. And right. depending on how you get organized, you can have you know quite a few in front of you, and you can be working on a few at a time.
0: Gotcha. <laughs> Eric, okay. Eric just talks a lot. We've all been in that moment where you started feeding the babies, and the one yeah, is yeah, eating, please. and it's and you slowly start you start to move, and it stops eating. So now you have to stand there yeah. like a statue till
2: it's exactly. Damn, I'm like,
0: idiots, oh my like, God, you, I hate you,
3: that. You
1: I usually try and get two or three sort of horizontally in this. start at one side, and then when it starts, you sort of take a little shuffle to the middle, then you work on that one. But if, if you're working, depending on the animal, if you work too much, the other, the first one looks at you and they sort of, yeah, you know, okay, take another shuffle a little bit further to the left of the third one. Keep shuffling over. But, um, yeah, they, they just, I know exactly what you're saying. They see you and then you freeze and you stop breathing and it's like everything just stops.
3: Yeah, you can't. Move. You're like I
1: would I, like, you, like to I just, would like to just go. Like, 50 minutes goes and you're like I need to breathe. Is that upset him, and then you exhale and then they spit it out and you're like, oh, oh, god, I should have held on a bit longer. They are um, they are a nightmare.
2: But they're such a beautiful python, man. Oh yeah, I love that. Very very cool. The hook you, they hook you <clears throat> in. So, so since we're on Antaresia, I thought um. Uh, i would uh i was curious um what's what's the deal with the marble i mean that's uh that's a recessive trait right but are they like i don't know if i heard this right but they're super variable in between uh, the ones you can get
1: yes that's okay. all correct okay cool. so from the outside looking in uh i th- I've worked with the marbles now for, uh, I don't know, five, six, maybe seven years, six years maybe. I don't know. Um, so the the marbles can vary anywhere from an animal that so, – so basically when these things hatch, they, they come out of the egg and they look – they can either look completely white right. with like dark eyes and like a slight bit of smudging on their head or they can be bright yellow with dark eyes and you're like, what the hell is this? And then after they have their first shed, the colours change. So it's almost like that yellow intensifies again. So even the white ones will start to turn a little bit yellow and the, the yellow ones get a little bit more orange. They look like orange. And then what happens is as they start to grow and age, melanin starts to produce randomly all over the body and they just it starts to get like a, almost like a, a dark shading on it at start and then slowly but gradually you have black speckles coming through and depending on the amount of melanin being produced in areas the patches will either join together or still stay separate so therefore you have these animals that are outstandingly you know they they almost look like what you guys call the salt and pepper I think in the in the ball pythons you know right. they can right. look like they can look like a white animal with black speckles right through to a a yellow or an orange undertone animal with dark colour on top right through to almost a melanistic-looking animal. Wow. But it still has uh, the white belly. They've always got the white belly, which is pretty amazing.
0: That is nuts. Um,
1: I, I look at that and go, you know, obviously there's a genetic mutation or a defect in there that's turning this melanin on and off somehow. And wouldn't it be wonderful if it could almost flip side, instead of turning the melanin on and off, it's, it's instead of producing the black patches, it could produce white patches over an animal, the yellow animal, you know, with white patches. And you can see some of that happening. So some of these animals, as juveniles, are very different looking, but as adults, that melanin comes in and washes out everything else. It basically blankets everything and hides everything else underneath. Huh. That's... It's almost like um, it's almost like the melanistic blue tongues. They can look jet black, but if you closely look at them, you can see some of the colours down the sides of the animals. Right. And then when Joe Ball put the albino into the melanistic animals, mm. obviously the albino washed out all that black melanin, and what we see now is what he calls the larvas, these bright orange animals, because that orange was underneath all that black. So it'd be interesting to see what the albino gene would do to a a marble, obviously, you know, because, Mm -hmm. number one, it's either going to, as the animals progress, make them have white patches because it's going to take the black out and replace it with white.
3: Right.
1: And have this orange animal with white patches on it. I don't know. could be interesting.
0: Hmm. Yeah, why not? Whatever. If it's... It might be interesting. It might be kind of cool. It might be something completely freaking different. It's it's yeah. something to try. Let's see where it goes. Yeah, you know, yeah. Well,
3: yeah.
1: There's a couple of guys working on it now, so that should be interesting to see where where that ends up. You know, really. Yeah. yeah. But um, I, I really think when you when you strip it down and you say, okay, let's re- remove the black off the black out of the marbles, and then you look at the yellow animals with the white. Even as they start to progress, I've got some babies here. As they start to progress, so over the first to second and third shed, you start seeing white markers coming through. So some of them actually have these, you get random white dots through them.
3: Uh-huh.
1: Some of them you get a like patching, like large patching around the vent area, almost like pied. So you get a lot of white patching going on. Cool. And then some of them have got these thin... So almost like a vertebral stripe like some chondros get, some of the with white markers coming down the, the spine. Oh, wow. And you see that in the first couple of sheds, but then what happens is obviously the more sheds they have, then the dark comes in and just sort of washes out most of them. But in some animals, the white still is there. It's really weird. It's I, I really think there's multiple things happening all at once. Okay. And that black melanin comes in and just covers everything up. Wow. and then we can't see it you know
3: right right
1: but i noticed a lot of the lot of the um the the hets definitely have some interesting markers and i've got to look a little bit closer but i i think you can almost see visible hets which obviously blows the theory out of the water but you know when you're doing breeding ratios it definitely looks recessive right because you know the the lines between recessive polygenic and uh Kodom, the big dirty word, is um, almost, <laughs> almost so similar. You know, the results can be so similar. It's just when you've got to look at the multiple generations, that's when you can start seeing you know, a bit of a difference in the results. But, um, yeah, the marbles are um, wonderful things. And I've got animals here, like I say, that are almost white with black black markers on them. It's almost like a cookies and cream sort of thing, like like I said, a salt and pepper, right right through to an animal that's quite melanistic, still has some of the similar attributes around the face, still the white belly, and a couple of little yellow patches down towards the the ventral area. And they just vary from one scale to the other. It's it's huge. It's huge.
2: And the parents don't play a part in in which way it's going to go? There
1: seems... So, so they all came from a single animal originally, um, a lot like a lot of Australian stuff. It all comes from a single animal, but how they've, or what they've, that single animal was put to it, to right. produce their right. founder yeah. stock, no one really knows because that was um, Southern Cross, uh, old Simon Stone, and he no longer works within the hobby or within those animals. So, right. So there, there's a bit of bit of out there. Um, Initially, he put some into the patternless children's pythons. Um, so you have a chocolate-looking het, basically, that produces some of these nice-looking babies. The babies will vary. It doesn't really have a big influence on the babies. Okay. Um, then they put the T-positive or the caramel albino into the marbles, which they call tarbles. Yep. <laughs> and very inventive here, very inventive. <laughs> they call them tarbles.
0: So- Sometimes we should be able to veto some names every once in a while where it's just like, no, go back, do it again. So, yeah.
1: yeah. I, I really think, you know, to – I mean, a lot of the stuff, a lot of the terminology we use is very similar to you guys. Yeah. So they don't should follow I, up. I, Yeah, we're, we're well, not – have you seen the ball python things? No, don't follow us. I've seen ball pythons. I've seen corn snakes. But, I mean, you can also <laughs> – if, if you follow those – like probably the corn snakes were probably the better, better terminologies. At least it's right. a little bit more understand. Everyone across the world can understand it. But the difference is when you put the 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 T positive caramels and yeah. the uh, marbles together, mm. the interesting thing is the um, the iris in the eye becomes red.
0: Huh. Dude. <laughs>
1: so you know, and these animals, for all intensive purposes. Are an orange animal with either purple blemishes on them, or they just stay like a really high orange and yellow sort of looking animals. So it'd be interesting to see, like in the combination that's they're doing that, and then what happens is some of the the double hats are coming out looking almost like chimeras or pieds. So they've got these crazy looking animals that are starting to pop up from this double combination. So it just makes me think that. Maybe the marble's bringing a lot more to the table than everyone thinks. And then when you put it in with the T-positive, somehow the T-positive is reacting or stripping away <clears throat> some of those levels, letting other things appear. Huh. So yeah. in the last two seasons, two to three seasons, a couple of people have produced some of these chimera-looking things, but they haven't been able to produce you know, chimera to chimera or... Yeah, you know, starting to unravel that they've just produced some visual animals and gotcha, yeah, jumped on that bandwagon, which is going to be pretty cool, I reckon.
2: Yeah,
0: that's awesome. Though,
2: I, I uh, I'm a particular fan of the uh, T plus Stimpsons. and oh yeah, yeah. Uh, there's two different lines, right, and they're non-allelic, right? Has there there's been... supposed to be three?
1: Oh, so there's okay. supposed to be three. There's a guy in Queensland who says his is different to everyone else's because it comes from a different locality. Okay. Um, and apparently the other two lines don't talk to the third party, which is weird. Okay. So the, the other the other two lines are better known as the Colin Ray line. So that's okay. a guy in Victoria, and that's the bright orange and yellow-looking individuals. Right. Um, I've, I've got a couple animals here, and one of my key guys I call him Cheese because he looks like a cheese. He's a very cool-looking thing. <laughs> um, the, other, the other one's called the Dave Evans line. Um, that's from a guy in Queensland. So the, the Colin Ray line comes from, I believe, the Tennant Creek locality, whereas the Dave Evans line stuff comes from a WA locality stuff. They don't look like typical WA stuff, you know, where the lines, you know, how you get those very distinct marking lines come down yeah. the neck on the wheat belts and the brooms and all those. They actually look like um, they're quite an interesting-looking animal. They're, they're really thick-patterned, almost like a... What they used to call pinstripes, got very thin background colours in between the big markers. But um, So they, they both bring to the table different attributes. Number one, the Colin Ray line is the yellow animal, orange markers, nice crystal clear yellow eyes. I look at that as though it's something like the coral glow or, you know, condemn me, coral glow, or what do they used to call the other one, which is the clown, I think, or something like that in the ball yeah. pythons.
2: Yeah, uh, um,
1: uh, yeah. So it's almost like a, a big enhancer, right? So oh, yeah. so the Colin Ray line one, beautiful yellow animal, orange markers, beautiful orange eyes, it's compatible to the T positive or caramel albino children's. Put two visual animals together, produce visual animals. Huh. Right?
3: Right.
1: So then you go, okay, then let's take... The Dave Evans line. So that animals look like there's more oranges in there, not so many yellows, a bit more lavenders, almost gray sort of purpley looking things, and got very dark eyes, almost black eyes. Okay. You take those two stimmies, put them together, and produce normal-looking visual animals. No. So therefore, they're non-allelic. They're not compatible.
4: Okay.
1: So they're producing these double heads for all intensive purposes. I think this season someone should be able to produce the very first double visual animal. Not 100% sure. It all depends on how they've gone with their feeding and all the rest of it.
0: Right, and luck because, you know. Eventually...
1: That's it, the potluck,
0: one
1: yeah, in 16. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, everyone thinks, yeah, I'm going to get it. And it's like, no, you've got a one in 16 average per individual.
0: Yeah, it's not which the makes... whole clutch. It's no. Egg. No. Yeah. That's right, egg, individual egg.
1: And depends how lucky you are. I mean, I had uh, one season I put two 50% het for albino max together, and the chances of hitting the odds per animal was pretty high. Mm. So you got a one in two for the female, one in two for the male, just take two at random, put them together, produced a visual animal. So it's like, yeah, bingo. I got nine eggs. Out of those nine eggs, there were seven visual animals.
0: Oh, shit.
1: And you're like, yeah. So I got that the first year. The second year, I got two visual animals out of nine. Okay. And then for the last two years, I've got zero.
0: (laughs) So I cashed in my chips early. Oh, no, you went too early. You didn't spread it out. Uh... That was a rookie mistake. (laughs) You know. I I should
1: should have waited, but no, I'm just crazy.
0: It's it's just the way it is because, I mean, like I had a clutch of 12 eggs – Bomb and two eggs went the distance, yeah. and I had the. and I could have hit a caramel exanic jaguar, and I managed to get it out of those two eggs. And then Eric just hatched a clutch of uh potential tiger jags, and he's like, I really want tigers. And he got two out of the entire, everything yeah. else was a jag. I and didn't it's want like, any I'm jags, and bin. I got
2: all jags.
0: Yeah, it's, it. uh, it's careful what you wish for, you usually get the exactly. opposite. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You should, exactly. Wish for all Jags, you should have. Cuz yeah. oh god. But yeah, it's, it's it's an average
1: game and it's a potluck and it's a bit of bit of everything really. It's not really a given.
0: No. No. And you know what? It's more often than not the one baby that drowns in the egg is the yeah. one you were waiting for. It's like that's the one it you know.
2: I got to admit as much as, you know, it sucks when you don't hit the odds, but Man, does it does it feel oh, well, good when you hit the odds I, after you hit those uh, lows, man? Like, yeah. like, yeah. you know, all oh, those highs are so much sweeter when the lows are, you know, you get
0: <laughs> When you lows. when you're hatching eggs after like a dick punching season for last year, it's <laughs> yeah. it's a good it's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. You know.
1: Definitely, yes. And I mean, you see all these other guys and they're like, "Oh, yeah, I just put these together and this popped out and Shut up. I got all this" <laughs> and it's just like beginner's luck. You're like, yeah. I just want to Kill this guy. Yeah, damn it. Like, just
0: grit your teeth and you're like, Ah It's a species you've been working on forever. Like I have people yeah. who are like, I d I don't know, I just put my white lips together and there are babies. Like, what the hell? Yeah. Like Yeah, well you talk about it's not that hard. Yeah, and like, they do yeah. it once and then you just yep. get mad. So yeah. what oh, about the uh,
2: you know, another favorite one of mine and I don't I'm I haven't seen this I haven't followed this project that well in down there is the the uh, platinums, the spotted uh, platinums. Is that uh, moving ahead? It's very,
1: it's very contentious.
2: Oh. Very, uh, yes. Of course.
1: Oh. <laughs> oh, we've got to have Damn. something to whinge about down here. Jeez. Right.
0: <laughs> Of course the one I pick is the, is the drama. Yeah. Jesus Eric, what's with the drama?
1: Oh, you just want the drama
2: itself. Yeah, what the hell, dude? I really didn't. <laughs> I just think it's a cool looking snake.
1: They are they are cool. And that's the thing too, is um much like the marble Right. Um the, the thing is, right, so marbles, everyone's gone looked at the marbles and go, Okay then, yeah, okay, they're varied. We accept the fact that they're um a recessive trait. We can move on.
3: Right.
1: So the the initial problem was when I first started working with the Platinums like 2010. I think it was about 2008, 7, 8, they sort of started popping up. I got some 2010 and started working with them and didn't really know how the mode of inheritance was working. You know, you got visual animals that were outstanding and then you had these other average-looking animals that weren't really much. So we classified the visual animals as uh, an A grade and then the... You know, nice-looking animals that you get in the clutch. We classified as B grades, and then, then you had all this other stuff that was just like fodder. <laughs> um, and you know, they they could range from an average-looking animal right through to almost like a sort of a blonde mac, sort of nice-looking stuff. Okay. Right. And and they just got sort of sorted out that way. Obviously, you know, when they hatch, it's you, you could spot them a mile away. You know, they're these pink things that curl out of the egg compared to a the children's python or yeah, the other spotted pythons, these, the bright pink, almost translucent things coming out of the egg. And so in the earlier days, we weren't really sure whether it was polygenic or, you know, had some form of codom in there maybe because, you know, you take a visual animal, put it across a non-visual animal and then you produce these babies. But the problem was we didn't realise that these non-visual animals that we were calling B-grades are related. So it's probably more polygenic and okay. recessive than it is codon. Gotcha. And I believe it's recessive. Okay. Um, and obviously no two platinums look the same, just like no two marbles look the same. There's such a huge variation. And yet I get a, uh, there's a few other breeders out there say, oh, it can't be, it has to be codon. And I said, well, if the visual animal is a codom," Are you calling a platinum this normal-looking blonde, the platinum? Because
3: right. if
1: the visual animal is your super, because that's what they're calling them, the supers,
3: right.
1: is that, what do you classify a platinum to look like now? What right. is a platinum?
0: Yeah, where's, where's I believe the the
1: Platinum is the end product, not the, it's like saying the super jag, the leucistic animal is your platinum, but the jag is... But you can tell the difference between a jag and a sibling or a yeah. non-related, you know, right. like it doesn't make sense. So I've, I've, I've thought about it for years and I thought, you know what, this year I'm going to have to do it. So this year I just, because um, we're in the right time right now, so I've put uh, visual to visual. Whoa. I've done visual to what I call a het. I've got het to het, which are your B-grade stuff. And then I've got a visual to a completely unrelated animal. And I've got a, a het to a completely unrelated animal. So I can <laughs> see my outcome and then go, boom, this is my Lay result. Lay all the info, yeah. Based on real data, not just, you know, someone that's acquired a, a B grade, which I think are hets, required yeah. a, you know, a B grade here, a B grade there, and put them together and then produced a visual animal and go, oh, it must be codon. Well, I
0: don't no, know how that works. Yeah, it's... <laughs>
1: You got to strip it back, go backwards. Sometimes, you know, yeah. you produce something, and how did I get here? Is yeah. it, the only way you're going to find out how to go further ahead is to go backwards, maybe one or two steps, and then you can go six steps forward. Right. Yeah. It's... So, I think it's recessive. I think it's right. recessive based on my results over ten years, but that's not enough. So I've got to, <laughs> I've got to do the do the breedings. You know, go back to the basics because when I received my first animals. Mm-hmm. They were not the high quality ones, the A grades, the B grades. So I believe I got hats, and then when I started putting those hats together, I got, you know, a couple of nice looking animals, but the rest yeah. were nothing. So it's just, yeah, it, it's it's a difficult thing. It's like saying, you know, we know when we get albinos because boom, it's right there in front of your face.
3: Sure.
1: All when right. you get a platinum, it's the same thing. Boom, you can see it straight away. But as they mature, they change too, so they can look so different and i think that's the beauty of it they can look so different and they can change so much right in yeah. that first year that first year i really think is that is where all the the color hues and things start to settle and change and twist and turn and even with the albino max you know it's the same thing if you sell a albino mac under a year you're crazy because you don't know what it's going to look like it can change
0: so much right this reminds me a lot of uh exanthic coastal eric like a lot a lot
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Because, because, correct me if I'm wrong, when the very first ones came out, they don't look anything like what they look like now because it's been refined, right?
0: Right, of course, because that's what happens. So, in, that happens at every morph, but it's yeah. harder with something that is supposedly a recessive and stuff like that because it, it, it yeah, it's mind-numbing. And a the, the lot of people bought into it when it was, this is the Xanthic, Yep. And then we had to back, kind of backtrack, like, oh, wait, no, these are the heads. Mm-hmm. And then these are the Xanax and that stuff like yeah. that. So,
1: yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing to see how, um, you know, so many people want that gene to appear. They've almost sold on it straight away. So, as soon as yeah. someone claims it, you know, all this money gets thrown. Chow, 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 chow. Yeah. And, um, you know, so many people are so quick to just to grab the cash and run. But the thing is, then, you know, you get stooged with a project that could possibly be something people get disheartened and just flick it and it just yeah. disappears again. It's it lost into the tumble mixer. Really? Right. Right.
2: So you guys have that too, where things are oh, oh, yes. Yeah. in the sauce.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes it falls into the wrong hands and then, you know, people claim things way before it can be proven out. And the, the mode of inheritance is a, is an important thing, I guess, when it comes down to sales, because, um, recessive traits obviously take longer to prove out so therefore yep. they typically hold their value a little bit longer yeah. than a co than a codominant trait so when someone says let's for, say for instance platinums are codom's, and you know i'm going to sell them at a thousand dollars each versus a guy that says it's a recessive trait and i sell them for 500 bucks each it's mm-hmm. like how, how, do, how do people buy into that you know and then when they buy that animal and it's not producing the the results within that first litter. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's just, yeah.
2: You can also, uh, (laughs) if you sell something like that for big money, it could ruin your, your reputation, you know, well, especially rip me off, you know?
0: Well, I mean, especially if it's not checked, (laughs) And I sell I sell the animal for seven hundred dollars, and then next year I'm like, oh, well, that sucks, two hundred dollars each. Like that, then yeah. people are gonna think they're gonna get gypped that way, right. you know?
1: Yeah, yeah we, we had that problem here. Like a certain morph came on the market. Um, you know, everyone was paying three and a half thousand dollars, four thousand dollars for them. The guy sold like I don't know heaps, and then the following season. He did the same thing, started it, but then realized a lot of people bought in, so therefore they weren't willing to double dip. So right. then he halved it. Oh, you dick. <laughs> and then and then he just, because he, he produced more, right. thinking that he was going to have an equally strong market. But then what happened is the second year, he couldn't sell as many, so then he actually halved it and then just swamped the market. And then Jeez. when everyone else bought their animals and bred them the third year, there was they they went to three hundred dollars. Wow.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a, <laughs> it sounds, it sounds like a classic ball python free fall, you know? Oh and,
1: yeah. <laughs> and then everyone's like, "This is crap. The market's crap." And I'm like, "Well, it's a good thing I didn't buy them for the market. I just bought them for myself."
0: Yeah, just like <laughs> yeah. like I, everybody's talking about like eventually rough scales are going to be like two hundred dollars. I'm like, I can't wait. I'm gonna have so many. <laughs> I can't wait. So many. Two fifty, man. Two fifty. Two fifty. Come on.
2: Plus Come 150 on. shipping.
0: Yeah. yeah. And the
1: $30 for your export permit. Right. Mm. Yeah. I could we, could.
2: we could solve all your problems with selling snakes if you would just export. You know, I know you don't have control over this, Peter, but yeah. you know can get somebody's ear because I think it's, me and Owen have a list. <laughs> it's,
1: been a contentious, it's been a contentious sort of topic for years. And I mean, that, let's be honest, the Australian government will never let anything come into our country legally like exotics which is fine by me sure. you know like that's fine yeah,
4: absolutely.
1: but let's be smart and everyone's and this is the the topic that people say oh but if you allow legal exportation you're not stopping smugglers well you sort of are because most Australians want stuff that we don't have whether it be morphs of what we have or Different stuff species. that we just can't have that's right, yeah. right. so what makes it appealing to them is that, you know, they've got stuff that's worth, like, rough-scale pythons, $250, you know. Oh, $1,200. <laughs> exactly. So you, yep. they look at the barter card and they go, well, even if I just swap that for this and for that, you know, someone oh, is, yeah and that's what they do is they, they, they ship them out and they ship them in, and it's, it's, it's a little bit all crazy right. because if we're talking about security, we're talking about uh, quarantine, we're talking yeah. about all the rest of it, and I've said it many many times you know just turn around and say we're going to allow it for 5 years we're going to give 5 licenses it's going to be $100,000 per license like let's yeah. be honest it doesn't matter what price you put on it government and say we're going to chart we get you have to do DNA sampling you have to microchip all your animals yeah. we have to know full breeding you know the whole rigmarole the pictures yeah. of everything we're going to someone coming in, inspect your facility, do this, 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 this. It's got to go through quarantine before they leave, vet inspections, all the rest of it. That money is going to come back and yeah. it's going to come back and it's going to, you know, supply someone with a, an income and it's going to create a real business here. It's going to have the trickle-on effect where you've got caging, uh, food, bedding, the whole yeah. infrastructure around what reptile keepers do. Sure. and then you know behind that you, you're supplying a food business and their their family and friends and whoever else is working for them you know you're creating a whole business now based around producing animals for exportation right for 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 the hobby you know uh, I mean you can do it for birds and fish we can even inter- import you know na- non-native fish and birds from all over the world and it's not a problem but right do it to a, a lizard that we're allowed to, like, this is how crazy it is. If I was driving down the road and there was a blue-tongued lizard on the road basking,
3: right.
1: if I stopped, got out of the car, picked that animal up, took it to the side of the road, let it go, I could be fined for that. But mm. if I drove down the road, swerved across the other side of the road, ran over it and kept driving, that's not a problem. I hate not that. Wow. You know. It's crazy. It's, 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 it's like the government doesn't want anyone to make money off our animals. And I really think that's exactly what it is. They don't want to be perceived as we value the animals as in a, a dollar sign.
0: Right.
2: I know, but that's, you know, I mean, if I look at it for me personally, being in love with Australian reptiles it's, it's, it's led me to visit there not once, twice. Yeah. And now I have a ticket for a third time. If it wasn't for COVID, I would have been in Western Australia and God damn, yeah, I keep coming back and back and back and back. So, yeah. which is in turn helping your economy. I have no, you know, the Australian economy, I have no intentions on going there and taking anything out. I just want to see something in the wild because I'm keeping it in captivity. And it gives me more of an appreciation for, trying to do anything I can do to help conservation mm-hmm. long-term, you know? I, yep. I, I don't know. And so
1: this is where the government probably sees it the opposite way. They think right. that if yeah. the animal's in captivity, then it probably won't stimulate that economy. But the reality is it's completely the opposite. Because yeah. Yeah. when we have animals in cages, you know, you look at them and you go, I wonder if I can do this better. I wonder if I can re- replicate their environment better. Yes. So not only do we just pull the thing out of our pocket and go click, 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 you know, you can jump on a plane, come here and actually experience it. And like you say, you know, reading where Owen Pelley's live is completely different to actually going out to those rock faces where yes. it's 65 oh. to 70 degrees Celsius in yeah. the middle of the day 100%. and realising, holy crap, how do these things live out here? Yeah. You know, it's it, it's once you experience that firsthand, then you can go back with a true appreciation and go, man, those guys live in some
0: pretty crappy places. Could you, if, 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 and that's the other thing is like, we, we spoke to Gavin about his own Pellies and how, you know, he's sold a few and this, that, and the other thing. And he's kind of opening up a little bit. And he said that he likes to just try to make it so that. The money does go back to um, the aboriginals. And also that he's going to release the animals back into their native ranges and stuff like that eventually. And, it's like that, but, like, there's not too much drive for people to buy them. If, if it was opened up where we could buy Owen Pelley's from Gavin and have them shift to the United States, I know if yeah. of at least five people here that would automatically just do it. <laughs> like yeah. It's yeah. like, there's that. And plus, it's like, listen, you guys have uh, rough scales are so cheap. I have an entire clutch of snow corn snakes that I will trade you. <laughs> like <it's, laughs> Like, and that's how that's going to go. So it's. It, it, there's a lot of because like right now, snow corn snakes like fifteen dollars like it's okay, yeah. so I know, there's, there's I know trail. It
2: sounds it sounds selfish when I say you know to export and not import, but I think I'm just yep. looking at it from the the standpoint of you know, I think that there's you know you could have really legitimate reptile breeders, you know. Do it full time if, if if that was a possibility. And you know,
1: I think so too. And, and I mean, that's that's I think that's the only way it would, in know, you know, it would actually happen is is to be a one way door. Right. You you don't want anything coming in because that's just going to cause the big explosion of you know quarantine as well as you know. Right. Sure. You know, yeah.
3: Just
0: yeah. causing massive issues here. One snake catcher, finds one retick, and yeah, you all are screwed. And I, so I guess I'm
2: just coming from the standpoint of, to me, Australia has the most amazing reptiles on the planet. I don't think you can get any better. And I think I don't know if it's just that matter of we we love what we can't have or can't see on a daily basis, you know. But to me, I, I mean, I. Can you get any better i mean come on i mean man. i mean <laughs> i i mean if, I if would, you're a I would person and you're not into australia i, I don't
0: know yeah i mean it's i, I do really mind getting in a that's kangaroo that's either so, I mean, send me a couple roos and maybe a wombat. probably more
1: likely to be able to get a kangaroo. I out of a literally
0: can. And, and... <laughs> like, I literally that's could make crazy. a phone call and get several. So, it's, oh, that's a just... a
2: kangaroo used... and some cassowaries. He wants to have a
0: phone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah.
3: Well,
0: yeah. Cassowaries.
1: I'd love to have some cassowaries cruising around in my rainforest.
0: So would I. I well, think well, it would
1: be, be great. Imagine someone jumping the fence and, and going, be, Ooh, be, that's a big cat.
0: Yeah, that, 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 <laughs> their security, they're pretty. Um, yeah. You know, I think these are, these are all the conversations I keep trying to have to get the cassowary, but... Um, yeah, get em. Uh, no, Well, she's still hung up on, it's a giant chicken that could eviscerate you, and I can't argue with her well, enough to, you know... Right. Yeah. I wouldn't be calling him a chicken. Well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not a chicken, Chickens, Owen. Not a chicken, Chickens,
2: yeah.
1: Uh, More like uh, dinosaur. Chicken, ostrich, or something. Or something. raptor, yeah. Yeah. They eat, um, they eat
0: uh, ostriches.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, I mean, I, I have to talk about your rough scale cage.
0: Oh, oh yeah, shit, I, love I love it. I love mean, it. I love it. Everything that has about to be it.
2: The most amazing enclosure I've it's ever seen. It's so pretty. <laughs> and <laughs> you know, I saw pictures of it when I was watching the YouTube. But then the heated rock ledges and the, <laughs> the hide box on the side. I mean, you got to tell us about yeah, it's, it. I
1: mean, come on, it's a bit crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, when um. When I built the my, my shed, my reptile facility, so it's, it's double upstairs, downstairs. Downstairs is my rodents, which I've sort of been doing on a bit of a semi-commercial level now, which is paying the bills, which is what we all want. Right. And um, so upstairs is all my reptiles. I built a couple of um, areas upstairs that I've sort of pushed aside, and they've been sitting there for ooh, five, six, maybe longer, seven years, maybe. Um, These little areas, and in, in my head, I keep swirling around ideas of what I want to do in there and all the rest of it. Right. And um, I was lucky enough to find this, um, a couple of uh, Universal Rock backgrounds. And, I mean, Universal Rock, he used to live here in Australia, down in Sydney, but now he
2: lives in Texas,
1: of all <laughs> places.
2: Oh, I know that. Okay. We, we took him yeah. from you. Yeah. Stuart.
1: Yeah. So okay. Stuart's, Stuart's there, and he's done a whole heap of different stuff over there, a lot of zoos, and obviously it's yeah. a bigger – bigger money uh, maker for him being over there than it would ever be here in Australia right. so they sort of really customised themselves for a lot of fish stuff here whereas now he's in the US, it's huge huge stuff, I think he's doing a lot of zoos, um, there was some primate cages he was doing some uh, even some kangaroo dens and stuff he was doing oh, the yep, other so day I like pretty, guy.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah I thought that was
1: pretty cool and um, he's had a lot to do with uh, check's new adventure too, the Reptarium. Yeah. Decked out all that. It looks pretty fantastic.
0: It's gorgeous. Yeah. So I can't wait to get there
1: for that. But as you know, COVID's a, um, not everyone's friend at the moment no. <laughs> for so many reasons. But um, so I actually found one of these in a nursery and it, um, it's eight foot high and it's um, probably 12 foot wide, maybe 14 foot wide. And as it happened to be this this section, this one area that I made, I could push it in. It could go down the two sides and across the back, nice and easily. And I thought, yes, it's perfect. So I, I got I snabbled that for a deal. It's usually worth about fifteen hundred Australian. I got it for like five hundred.
2: Oh wow! Okay.
1: Wow. it had been sitting in the weather for a couple of years, but it's it's fine. You know, it was exactly what I wanted. So I got that and I thought, okay, I can put it in there and do this. And, of course, that thing sat in there for another year with me just looking at it and observing it and going, you know, I really want to put my rough scales in there because, you know, there's so little we really know about these animals in their natural environment and what they do. Yes, I've kept them. Yes, I've bred them and I've even... You know, let the female maternally incubate and hatch the babies and i learned so much by watching that but you know i'm only watching it in a three foot by two foot enclosure right <clears throat> so to me you know I, I want to learn more and see what these guys could do mm-hmm. and then i looked at this big area and i thought this is perfect my idea was to have a, a big tree stump come out of one side and have a hollow and the snake go through that and it can go into a hide box and i thought that's pretty cool and i had um some shelves to the side, so I just ripped out some of the shelves. Um, my brother's a carpenter, so I'm very lucky there. I, hmm. you know, I've got some building skills myself, but when it comes to spot-on carpentry, you know, give it to the give it to the master. <laughs> yeah. So we made this big box that just slides in there. Um, and there again, you know, we're going to make improvements. I'm going to put like a little window on the front of it so I don't have to pull the box out every time I want to see what's going on. I can just um, have like a little little door where I can slip to the side, put a torch in there, see what's going on. Close it off. I can pull the box if I need to. So that way I won't disturb them that much. And then the rest of it, you know, just happened to become what it was. I went out looking for branches and all these different things. And then my neighbor had some trees that he had felled and they had a a, a mobile mill in there, which they sliced them and took out the nice big slabs and used them for um, fence posts. And what was left was this section basically of the outside skin of a tree but a nice flat edge on the inside and they were you know three four five meters long as long as i wanted so i could measure what i needed cut them to suit seal them with some um, epoxy resin okay. which just made it a little bit more impervious to you know the urates sticking to it and make it a little bit easy to clean yeah. and uh I could put them in there put them so it looked like the trees were coming up either side. You had all this rock in the background because every time you see a picture of a roughy mm-hmm. in situ, you know, they're sitting on these rock ledges and rock faces, and I'm thinking, and when you handle them, you know, you, you start to get a bit of understanding of how these their bodies can do things. Mm-hmm. And as it is, the rock sort of wraps around these corners. So the corners aren't 90 degrees in the back. They sort of wrap around and curve a bit. Right. And they have a little bit of a ledge here and there, but for most of it, it's it's almost like a
0: smooth... It, yeah, it's, it's almost pretty sheer. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. at pictures of it right now, yeah.
1: And I thought, you know, they're going to have to just deal with it, you know, and it had some ledges on it, which is good because they could get up there and sit on the ledge, and I thought, well, you know, you look at the diameter of some of these guys, then maybe they're not going to be able to sit there properly, and I thought, well, you know what? I'm probably keeping them a little bit fatter than they would exist in the wild as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know and so, and then I thought, how am I going to heat this? I don't want to do the typical because it's a big area, you know. Mm. It's 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 a big area to try it's and a, a heat it. Yeah, yeah. So, what happens, obviously, you get that thermo, thermo line, yeah. line, but it's a vertical one rather than what we normally get stuck with is a horizontal, right? And as it, as it is now, I've got to do a couple of changes so it gets even better. So, okay. I thought, if I had these rock. Because those rocks you can buy and they just plonk on the ground as a filler. And I thought, well, if I turn right. them sideways, mount them to the wall, it's it's still universal rocks. So that right. all matches color-wise and texture-wise, which is a win.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So behind those rocks are power points. Inside those rocks, I've mounted heat cord. Okay, yeah. And the heat cord sort of overlaps in a couple of places, so you don't get a consistent temperature across the top of the rock. You get hot spots and cold spots like you normally would. Right. The Animals can sit on those hot and cold spots as they, as they choose, really. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, after they eat, they go for the hotter spots that can sit up to about 50 degrees Celsius, probably nothing most people would do for pythons, but I thought I'd offer it to them and just see what they do. Because after you've been to some of these areas and you go to sit down on the rock, you realize it's not very pleasant to sit down on a rock on these days because some of those rocks can really hold the temperatures. Um, you guys have been out to Nalangi Rock, obviously, yeah. and you would have experienced some of those temperatures and the different textures and how the different textures hold different temperatures. If you had a temp gun, then you'd get a really oh, good understanding. And that, well, we that's did. a lot of Eric had a, research. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, Eric had a temp gun. He had uh, GPS. He had <laughs> a wind thing that would take down humidity. Um, oh, he had this wonderful gyro gamble-like to keep a shot for his phone perfectly stationary. Didn't have his yep. phone. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, Close. <laughs> yeah. 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 He almost got there. Yeah. Right. Almost. So. almost. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's we about, we're definitely aware of that. But, yeah, um, that's but, awesome, yeah you man. understand
1: how. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. Once you've been there, you understand how it's different. It's not yeah. just a flat rock that's got a heat pad under it and it's always sitting at 42 degrees Celsius or whatever. You know, it. Even on that one rock in that one spot, it can be 30 degrees in this corner and 48 here and 62 there, you know, and you're like, it's one piece of rock. How the hell does it do that? So I sort of mimicked that with the the heat cord in the back and they just plug straight in and that runs off a thermostat so I can control it. So I just make sure it doesn't go too hot and just watch the animals and see what they choose. And then, obviously, you know, you see all these wonderful vines and things, and I just went out the back through the ladder up a tree and jumped up there with a little chainsaw and lopped down a couple of nice big pieces of vine <laughs> and um, dragged them in while they were green and put them where I wanted them because it was easy to manipulate. And then mm. they've just been slowly drying in there and um, obviously becoming more rigid. And then I um, added some air plants just to see what the humidity would be like in there. And then what I've learnt since doing that, and they've been in there now two months. Yeah, obviously, when it comes to feeding, you've got to separate them. So some right. of the animals I can feed in there. Others I've got to take out, feed, and then put them back the next day. Same thing as what I used to do in my outdoor aviary. Whenever I feed um, multiple animals, <clears throat> excuse me, I um, spray them down with water and then put them back, introduce them. That way hopefully washing off some of the scent particles and then I just watch the animals and see their behaviours towards each other, make sure they're not thinking each other's food and all the rest of it. And I just put them back in there and they've been doing really well. So what I've learnt so far is where the rocks are going upwards, it has this nice temperature gradient and the animals really love it. If they make their way to the floor like they do, then depending on where they are on the floor, they could spend two or three days down there in quite cold conditions because they've obviously need a bit of heat to be able to get their momentum to get up to the first ledge. And then right. once they get to the first ledge, they go up and that's not a problem moving up and down. But once they get past that bottom ledge and make their way to the ground, then they sort of, you yeah, know, become lethargic and don't really want to move. And, you know, I, I don't know. I just panic a little bit when you pick up animals and they're cold to the touch, <laughs> but maybe, it's but maybe right. they need to do that, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's a bit weird. So, I've got, these, um, I've got some of these uh, Habistat, um heaters, the tortoise heaters, basically they're using the – you guys use over there from Zoomed. Okay, And I'm yeah. going to put one of those on the bottom. I'm going to just raise it up off the ground. I'll probably put a little bit of stone on top just so it looks nice, but they can get underneath and above. And um, if they make their way to the bottom and they need to get a little bit of supplement heat to move, then they'll have somewhere they can heat up now and make their way up. The other thing I found is the water bowl on the ground. So the water bowl is down on the ground like everyone does. I don't Mm -hmm. think these guys are smart enough to think that (laughs) they're going to go down to drink.
0: They get water. Oh, God.
1: (laughs) Because if, if if I open the cage and they're just sitting around and I spray them, they start drinking. They go nuts. Okay. And you're like, right, you guys really are slightly demented. So I've got this... Um, I've got another rock. It basically looks like a rock, but I'm going to make like a, for all instance, like a a hanging plant contraption up high above one of the heaters, heated uh, hot rocks, where you can clip it on the wall and it's rock. So it'll be rock underneath but open on the top. I'm going to fill it with water like a bird feeder or a watering hole. And these guys can drink up high. The fact that it's up high in the heat zone will add a little bit of moisture because I'm starting because a couple of them are shed now and they've got a little bit of a dry shed, so it's flaking. Mm -hmm. So I want to try and beat that humidity, but it just sort of brings you back into where these guys exist. You know, the humidity, like the natural humidity is quite intense in some places and the temperatures, you know, like they, they like hot, but they also need to get away from the heat. And that's the thing is, when we keep right. them in boxes, we don't give them the opportunity to choose sometimes the extremes from one extreme to the other, you know, like mm-hmm. I want to get to 45, but I also want to get to 15 degrees Celsius at some times, you know?
0: Right. Give them the option to do what they need to do.
1: Yeah. And then chucking them in there and just standing back and watching them and then going in my head, they're going to do this. Well, man, they do everything I thought they're going to do and a lot, lot more. And that's, that's the cool thing is now I walk in there every day look at that and I stand there and watch them for 15, 20 minutes every morning and every night and just watch them and see what they're doing and see, you know, this, this particular snake is set up camp and this is his spot. He stays mm-hmm. here now. And this guy, you know, he lives down in this corner and he's always in ambush and he sits in this specific way and then you're like, I can't find one. Where is it? And then you look in the leaf litter and you'll see this little nose poking out and you're like, okay, this guy's sitting down on the ground. He's in the bush, you know, and then you walk in there with food. You can just tell when they want food. They um, definitely let you know when they want food because that tongue flickering just starts real quick, you know, and you're like, okay, they're they're interested in food. So in that enclosure, I've got six individual animals. I've got four females and two females. Four males, two females, which is probably not what everyone would do. But there again, I... I've never heard of any, and never seen any male to male aggression. Okay. And to, to me, I just want to see how they're going to react when it, you know, when everything, all the temperatures start warming up again and they go into that natural breeding cycle, what they're going to do, you know, and obviously yeah. I've got to be very aware that I don't want, you know, any, any problems, let alone fatality. So I've got to keep an eye on that. But, It'd be interesting to see if there's any male-to-male aggression.
0: Yeah, like, is, if, have we seen roughy combat? I don't know. That's the
1: thing. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen that. And I'd and be interested to see if they go into, like, breeding balls, like sometimes you see with carpet pythons and
0: diamond pythons. Right. Or would they so, just pair up and, like, one pair would be know. over here and one would be down there? It, don't name so for, for me, that's interesting <laughs> <laughs> for me that's interesting and I want I want to know and the, I want to know this now I didn't have these questions <laughs> and now I do <laughs>
1: yeah I, I think the more the more times we um watch these animals the more things we want to learn and I can't be in the environment where they come from because it's just slightly a little bit logistically oh, right. a issue yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah the only way I can do it is try and replicate their environment put a, a number of animals in there that would normally never exist, obviously in the wild because one animal would probably inhabit you know ten square kilometers, who knows right. when you look at um, when you look at other uh, home range data from different pythons and stuff, you know it's it's huge. it's quite big than what we all think. So it'd be interesting to see what these guys do. I know it's artificial, but it's semi not artificial, so yeah,
0: it's better than most. I mean, and the other thing is that, You know, you're talking about home ranges and that they would disperse, but that's just probably because, you know, they they just they have to keep hunting for food and they're all in one area and food is supplied to them. So you, you could very well see some pretty weird interactions that we would probably not be have noticed or seen or be prepared for. So. I know,
2: I know everybody yeah. focuses on breeding and whatnot and and that's a cool part of the hobby but i think a lot of yeah. times we're missing out on some things and some some really cool behaviors that some of these you know reptiles are doing yeah um because of you know the they're for instance um there was an australian facebook page um and i i can't remember who the keeper was but they had this Woma python that was kind of set up in a sort of naturalistic sand. type yeah. of, of of cage similar to like what you have going on. And the substrate was like a, a, a sand soil type of mix thing. But yep. the woma Python was actually scooping out <laughs> the sand to, to kind of like burrow, like trying to make a burrow or get down into uh in down, down underneath. Um, and oddly enough tonight, Travis Wyman had his blackhead and he is just uh, Kind of put them in the same type of uh, thing, and it was it was doing that same, digging. Know, yeah, that's yeah. It, it, which is which is awesome. You know, but if yeah. you keep if you keep it, and I'm and I'm not saying that one is better than the other. I'm I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that you know sometimes, especially if you're keeping it as a pet, you're gonna you're gonna see these awesome, really cool adaptions and behaviors that these reptiles have done yeah. to survive in the wild, and and you know, it's really cool. It's definitely yeah.
1: it was. And like you say, it's, I think a lot of people get lost in it because they're in, in the race to breed and that's right. the, and that's how I guess we value success sometimes is that the fact that you've bred it, you know, right. and you can breed it multi-generations and, uh, I mean, some, some snakes can be bred in shoe boxes under beds, you know, and they can be bred multiple <laughs> generations. doesn't mean it's a good thing, you know?
3: Right.
1: Yeah. It's, um. To me it's the curiosity of the keeper you know if you aren't in tune with your animals regardless if you keep them in a in a tub system in a cage system or in a bioactive you know if you if you aren't doing the things that you should be doing regardless of how you keep them you could miss the opportunity to learn and see some unique behaviors and also see and learn what these guys really need and therefore you know the animals could meet a horrible demise or Anything else, you know? You, sure. It, it's all about the keeper and how you look at your animals. It's not about what they're kept in. And unfortunately, you know, we've always been judged on how we – or what we keep our animals in, you know? Like, it's yeah. it's really not about that.
2: Right. Agreed. Mm. But very, very
1: cool. Well, hopefully um, hopefully they do their thing. And <laughs> like I said, at the moment, they, um, they do communally sort of all – sit in certain spots at times. So first thing mm-hmm. in the morning they all sit on the one rock in the one spot and just pile <laughs> up.
3: Really?
1: And then there's there's one or two animals that just sit up on their ledge and they just they're like this is my spot. And when another one comes up next to it, they just sort of, you know, puff themselves out a bit and wedge themselves in and refuse to give up that that, that spot.
0: That has to be it's almost, what it's like they're, Yeah, they like they, it they to, like
1: it's way. this is my spot. You're not getting yep. in. There's no way you're getting past. Right. Well, they got and, those
0: scales, you know, and it,
1: to watch them go vertically, it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I've seen some pretty cool stuff already.
0: That's it. That's it. That's it. I'm building a giant roughy I, enclosure. <laughs> i have done. I've been telling Owen to I'm do out. this for years. I'm out. He has this I'm huge out. Huge spot in the oh, living no, room. I, the I'm huge like, hey, thing dude. in the living room. I'm building for the rhino rats because I don't trust the temperature. Ah. Now I'm just gonna do something bigger and grander for the rough scales. Like it's yeah. It's, oh oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. We're done. So I've got I've got another I've got another big
1: area that I'm going to do something similar, but I've got some um, I'm going to put uh, some scrub pythons. Oh no! You need face.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like you know, let's have a closet of death. Like yeah, it's yes. Damn. Wow. But that but that'll be that hilarious. one there. I want it to be
1: like um, it's going to be good because I want it to look like we're in the top of the trees, you know, with some big branches going horizontally. So I think those guys will really love it. And um, I think, I think oh, I think roughies really don't have the best reputation in the hobby here because, you know, they were highly sought after became highly abundant. And now they're just roughies, you know, they're just the same color, which, which I yeah. think is crazy. Um, the only reason you get diversity is from breeding large numbers. So patterns and striping and then you start getting different colours and things that'll come out. But the thing is, just naturally, there have been an animal that should have a better, better understanding and a better yeah. uh, uh, representation in the hobby, I think, and that's why I put them in there. Yeah, I could put albino carpets or... Anything else in there or some nice, I've got some nice black and gold jungles. I could put them in there. They'll be visually outstanding. But when you stand there and look in the cage and then you go, oh, look, there's one there. And then uh, there's one over there. You just realize how cryptic these things are. So, and then on the flip side, that's the reason why I want to do one for the scrubbies because they've got this reputation, right? Mm. But I think the reputation is based, I mean, you go catch a wild scrubby, you can pick a big scrubby and there's not a problem. You well, go to well. someone's house. You go to someone's house, and you pull a big three-meter scrubby out of the cage, and the thing is going to have you for breakfast, one way or another. You're either going to be plastered in in all sorts of crap, or it's going to rip your face off, or it's going to do both. You know. But I, I think people keep them a little bit too hot in captivity, okay. and therefore, um, you know, I, I've seen it with some venomous snakes. You keep them a little bit too hot, and they're always always a little bit feisty. You know. Uh,
0: bloods. Well, I kept my like, blood. Yeah. I kept my blood too hot, and yeah. it was. It was furious with me. It, I drop it off at Matt Minnetola's place, and he's cuddling with it. Like yeah, yeah it, you're like, what the hell? What the hell? Yeah, Man, it's, it's,
2: funny it's funny you say that. Peter, because when, well, we found two scrubbies in the wild, and I was, I was like, oh shit, I'm getting ripped yeah. apart with this thing. And I was so chill.
0: Yeah. I thought there was, but, what, they used to did, I mean, was it Rob that got it, or somebody well, got, got it?
2: Well, he got he got nailed in the foot for, but that was. No, that was that was. It was Rob's
0: fault. fault. It's Rob's oh. fault. Let's just say it's Rob's I'm fault. Not
1: going to say it's not going to happen, but it's, yeah. it's they they don't act the same. You pull a big snake, a captive snake, out of a cage, and the first thing it wants to do is nail you because you know they're a smart animal. They they can watch you, they can understand you, and you've got to watch them and understand their body language too. It's almost yeah. I've seen a couple of guys do this in the U.S. with their Burmese. You know, they open the cage and the snake's there, ready to pound you. You know, it'll almost have one or two half half efforts sort of at you, twitches, and then it turns yeah. around. So it's like, back off, back off, leave me alone. And then it tries to fly away, and then as soon as it turns, you just grab it, and it just goes, oh, I'm Quips.
3: puppy
1: dog tame. Yeah.
0: It, <laughs> right. it, it, my I'm retic- not going to say that with right. stuff. <laughs> no, I mean, my, my retake's the same way. You open the door, and she twitches at you, yeah. but then if you kind of like, Touch her with the hook or do something else or just kind of ignore her for a little bit. Then it turns off and she starts trying to go about her business or come out of the cage and slide around. It's it's if you go and try to grab her when she's doing that twitch, is when you're going to have a bad time. (laughs) It's like that's so. You're going to get hurt. Oh, yeah. You're going to like. <laughs> uh, she'll be fine i will not be yeah so yes. it's but that's just the thing of reading the animal and knowing what's up so i mean yeah. i would not recommend peter that you like you know put a branch right at the front door around eye level though because if oh. that's where they decide that they're going to want to be there i mean oh yeah i know that okay <laughs>
1: just, yeah it'll be it'll be i've got to still think about the uh, the, the keeper because the keeper is myself it's not as though I'm building a zoo enclosure. Just get some poor other Screw sucker going. <laughs> <laughs> um, I used to have a – uh, exactly what you just said then. I had a cage where it was um, six foot wide, six foot high and two foot deep and I had a horizontal branch right at face height <laughs> and I had a hide box off to one side and I had this um, nice scrubby in there and I, I had this young fella working with me and I came in one day and he had this plastic box on his head and he was inside the enclosure, cleaning the bottom of the enclosure with this this scrubby hanging over, waiting to bite him on the head. And I'm like, why didn't you just push him and he would go into the hide box? And he's like, oh, I didn't want to upset him. So I just put this box on my head and got in there and cleaned the cage. I thought, that like, is
0: dedication. That is a
1: good I thought, employee. You're dedicated. I love, I love your story. You didn't want to stress the animal. I love that. But at the same instance you're a little bit on the edge there, you know, like <laughs> there's a lot more exposed than just your head, my friend. And right. they got a good grip. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. But, yeah. You learn, you learn lessons, keeping scrubbies and, um, some of them hurt.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, oh God. Okay. Uh, yeah, perfect. So, um, Uh, Eric, you want me to just go through the normal closing questions for Peter here?
3: Yeah. yeah. All
0: right. All right, Peter. Closing it down. um, First question is, would be, if you could have any animal in the world without legality or price, what would it be and why? A tortoise, because we can't have them. Oh my god! <laughs> and oh, they don't exist.
1: I think I think tortoises would be amazing. I've I've spent a bit of time with um Ken and Harkin and his tortoises and a few of the other boys and um I, I just they're just amazing animals, you know, like that's they they actually recognise you. Oh yeah. So I think that's part of it, you know, the, the recognition and how they come to you and just. They just seem to be always like a chill natured animal. You don't sort of get bum rushed or attacked for over a bit of cactus or plant,
0: you know. If you do, just, it's not very hard. <laughs> it's just like yeah. yeah it no. I just I just think they're pretty
1: cool and they're a long lived animal, so i think that would be pretty cool.
0: Damn. Yeah. I I did just I did not get one, but the significant other got one, so now I have one. So yeah, true. Um, by default. Yeah. By default, so uh, trying to figure out what we're going to be doing with that. So a lot cool. because it's going to
1: be there for a long time,
0: forever. Yeah. So no, it's um, <laughs> kids' problem. It, yeah, it, uh, kids like you know. have, we have a room full of empty cages. You could bought a, could have bought any snake you wanted, but all right, no. <laughs> so it's um, but uh, no, but I, I didn't even think about that. That like tortoises are something that they can't have in Australia. Yeah. I just, that never I made that was a disconnect for me. All right. So now if you could go herping anywhere in the world, where would you want to go and what would you be hoping to find? Africa. Okay. And and everything.
1: (laughs) Everything. um, I'd like to chase some, I mean, I've been herping in Africa and I've caught a couple of things, but I'd like to see a lot more, you know, some more spitters and um, they've got so many Cobras, you know, the Cape Cobras and, I mean the members are nice, but they're just like a laser beam. They're, <laughs> they're very quick, and you know you don't get too many uh, too many chances with things that are quick these days. But I mean, I, I would really like to go and look for gaboon adders in the wild. To be yeah. honest, that would yep. be um, that's that's my Achilles heel right there.
0: That would be cool. I mean, you yeah. know. I, I I chased that brown snake in Northern Territory and it was like I shouldn't be doing this. So yeah. <laughs> but I need to. But I need to. It's like it's uh, like I, I think I'd do the same thing. Mamba and I'd be running after it and I'd be like, What am now I doing? what? Like yeah, yeah like what what is what was the end game here, Owen? Oh, okay. So Cool. All right. Well, um, Peter, is there anything else you wanted to throw out there? Any kind of contact information, website stuff, anybody who might be listening that wants to either get in contact with you or if you're in uh, YouTube, if you're in Australia and want to come and spend her money to have him ship it to wherever in Australia. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I like blazing money. Why not? Yeah. um, Yeah. You can find me on YouTube, I guess. Criticam. Um, all of my crazy adventures, hopefully COVID's going to release me from my, we're actually allowed out now as of tomorrow to okay, start okay. fraternizing again, so hopefully I can get out and do some more filming, some other stuff, um, but yeah, YouTube's probably the best place, and um, all my social media is all the same, it's all Criticam.
0: Awesome. So yeah, awesome. got any
1: anteresia or dirt snake questions, I'm sure I can help <laughs> you out with a couple of those, but
0: uh Yeah. And, and hopefully everything opens up and you're going to come back stateside yeah. at some point, catch you up on that too.
1: already planned nice. to go to Tinley in October, but that's going to look like a bit of a stinker. Uh, Australia yeah. is basically saying they're not going to let us out until next year. By uh, yeah. it. So see how we, they might release us to places like New Zealand and some other places in the Pacific, but we'll see how we go. Yeah
0: that sucks well yeah. hopefully we'll catch up with you in person at some point if not uh keep us updated that's... on your 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 ruffy um experiment and your oh, scrub yeah, for sure because <laughs> uh, we'll we'll have to get uh, regular updates on this so <laughs> no worries <laughs> <laughs> no worries guys very that's cool. awesome but thank you very much peter this has been great i love yeah. this kind of stuff so this was awesome Good.
1: awesome thanks boys Yep. appreciate we'll,
0: it. Yeah, we'll catch up with you next time. We'll have you back on, all right? Excellent, thank you. All right, we'll talk to you soon.
1: Okay, mate, take it easy, boys. Yep.
0: <sighs> cool. For those for, for the audience that doesn't you. know, for the audience you. that doesn't know, we just did two shows in a row. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you won't know because it'll be seamless and gorgeous. Yeah. But this is the end of the second one. <sighs> all right.
2: But they were both really good,
0: man. They yeah. were. And I had fun. Wow. Dude, uh, Peter's a freaking riot. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, like, he is. I love how we had we had a we had a um we had the whole we had the whole um work through the normal work through for the first interview. And then Peter, there was nothing. And it didn't need it. <laughs> like it was well, just I had a, here I had we a go. work
2: through. I, I always have I see see I kind of see keep you this have quiet. the work I well, you, you have the work through and you just unleash me. Why. God because sometimes I I, I want to so like I try to make it like a topic oriented thing,
0: right? I, have it, I want you to possible. generate
2: your own questions because I uh, think okay. sometimes when you uh, when you're as, asking uh, <laughs> like my questions, they're kind of like gentlemen. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's back. I'm back. What? <laughs>
0: Sorry about that. No, I'm trying, no trying, to, <laughs> trying to close out the show and Peter's yeah, making an faces at me. Yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> <Pete's an> <laughs> but, yeah, it was
2: like, uh, uh, what was Just let it
0: guide it. It's fine.
2: Yeah, so I had questions, but I just yep. let you fly. So you said so much better Sorry. without an outline, and I'm so proud of you.
0: Oh, thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you so Sorry. much. <sighs> <sighs>
2: All right, right, so uh, let's see. For for us, MorelliPythonRadio.net, you can uh, contact us at info at MorelliPythonRadio.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Um, We have some cool shows lined up. Uh, We got, uh, well, I don't know how these are going to be put out, but we had Peter and uh, Wooter on tonight. And then... We have Derek Roddy talking blackheads, and then we have Matt Somerville coming on. He's going to be talking about herping Australia. Um, he's the one that found that Flinders Range carpet python. That oh my god, that picture! Holy shit! Calm, calm
0: down, calm down, <laughs> finish the show. I send it to you guys
2: like ten times a day. Like, I know look you look do. Calm down, finish the show.
0: show. It's we i can i can't see that snake anymore from any uh, other angles okay dude,
2: you can't tell me that's not
0: the prettiest it snake is gorgeous but i can't keep seeing it i know so All right. i'm sorry <laughs> i apologize thank um, you
2: and uh who else do we got lined up? Oh yeah, we're gonna do an IJ roundtable when uh, I'm Gavin
0: out. Bye, I'm tagged. <laughs> yep. It's, so we got. Owen's got, This is usually what happens. So once a year, I go away and Eric invites all the IJ boys to come over here and talk because yeah, I don't want to listen. We're
2: gonna talk so, about our uh, dirt brown dirt snakes. brown snakes. You know yeah, I mean? dirt brown crappets. That's
0: <laughs> <laughs> what we got going on. Exactly. Um, so.
2: But lots of cool shows lined up, and uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, we're both plug the, the store for the next month. Uh, yeah, merchandise for us, Murray Python Radio Teespring store. I guess Owen, oh, we got to do a Carpet Fest that didn't happen or something like that. Kind of I'm figure some something point.
0: out. Don't worry, it'll be fine. It'll be great. So no, I, I will know, figure that know, out. And then the Owen Pelly. I'm sorry, not the Owen Pelly. Wow. Oh
2: wow, we're going. Wow. All right, the let's Bull
0: walk. and I shirt is being designed right now. Uh, once it's finished up, we'll have that out. And again, all those funds go directly to Ari to fund his research uh for the bullens and uh yeah so we'll keep you guys up to date as those things become available yep. um for me you can go to rogue-reptiles.com
2: what are you just skipping right over me what i don't You're
0: damn right i did no <laughs> okay. no wait, go ahead No, you, you do today, you
2: know? think
0: do you think you think because if you don't do it i'm gonna get thrown off and we're all gonna fucked up so just do your thing
2: <laughs> yeah all right for me, ebmorelia.com uh, is my website, and you can follow me all over Facebook and uh, whatnot. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. Um, yeah, I, I actually recorded a YouTube video today of that kind <laughs> of red <laughs> tiger jags hatching out and red okay. tiger and whatnot. So uh, it's a shame that, that, that it's
0: a shame that all the people have to witness them, but nobody's allowed to touch any of them until I get over there and pick mine. So mm-hmm. yeah yeah
2: that's true Uh, for them being the
0: co-host god damn right
2: (laughs) uh and one last time i'm gonna throw out if uh you haven't checked out criticam on youtube uh i would uh if you're into australian uh, reptiles i would highly recommend it lots of cool cool episodes and you can see the rough scale cage that we were talking about
0: yes all that stuff there which is gonna be awesome so all right, now go ahead. Owen, my turn. Thank you. you. Uh, for me, you can go to rogue reptiles.com. You can also look us up at rogue underscore reptiles on Instagram. Uh, right now, uh, I've got a lot of babies up as far as bread lie, head, stonewash. Um, jungles are just starting to take their first meal, so they will be up in a matter of time. Hmm. And uh, yeah, there's a couple more things still waiting what in kind the of eggs. What
2: do you have for sale?
0: None. They're none. How dare you, sir? So <laughs> I actually have to check with that guy to see if there are any red boas. <laughs> I don't care enough to even ask, so I'll call him. All right. Anyway, that's all we have for you guys tonight. So we'll say thank you all for listening, and we'll catch everybody back uh, here next week for some more Morelia Python Radio. Good night, Eric. Bye, Peter. <laughs> so you're still here. Hey, later, boys. Uh, yeah, well done. It's craziness. <laughs> Straight. <laughs> all, right. all right, thank you all, all good man. night.